Hello, Soma Church, and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Robin McKinnon speaking today, filling in for Pastor Brandon. He is out this week with other pastors that are part of Harbor Network, which is our network of churches that Soma is a part of. And so this week, while he's down in Florida participating in that, I get the privilege to participate in this podcast with our visiting teacher, Hannah Anderson. How's it going, Hannah? Well, Robin, um, I have to say it's really good to be with you. I'm so glad we get to have a conversation um, again. We've had some good ones in the past, and I'm really looking forward um, to today. I am too. And Hannah, if you all um, have tuned into some other podcasts, is a visiting for us at Soma Midtown. We're super to have her around and get to glean from her. And so, Hannah, I would love to kick us off with a lightning round as the uh, people of Soma get to know you and who you are. Does that sound good to you? Oh, that sounds great. Okay. So today's today's podcast is around this theme of goodness. And so I'm going to play on that a little bit. I'll throw out a term and you tell me what comes to mind. Okay. I'm ready. Okay. All right. So good movie. Oh, Casablanca. Mm. Classic. Casablanca. Very good. Okay. Good food. Oh, all of them. No, um, that's not a right answer. You can't say that. Um, I love a good, um, venison steak. Now that's, that's different, but that's one of the meats that we eat. My husband hunts and if it's prepared, right, there's nothing like it. Ooh, that sounds like something that I would like to visit you for to have. You it's an, an Anderson specialty. Excellent. Okay. How about good book? Oh, um, cry the beloved country. Mm. Mm. That yeah. is one of my books I try to read on regular rotation. Um, so it's set in South Africa in the 1950s in yep. apartheid. And it's just a good, even maybe great book. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, excellent choice. Okay, you fall into bed at night. It's it's the end of a long day. You look at your husband, you say, it has been a good day. What happened? Probably um, we've been able to spend time together as a family. And we've gotten some kind of project or some kind of work done. So hmm. for me, I love working, getting things done. And I love working together. And I love my family kind of pulling together and tackling something. That's a good day for me. Hmm. And, and what's the most recent project that you've tackled together? Oh, well, which is just this last weekend. It's not like a, a big project, but, you know, I had all my kids out and we did the yard all together. So we were out for well, maybe three or four hours, just trimming and edging and, um, you know, mowing. And it's one of those things you have to do, but it just felt so good to be working together. Everybody was old enough and everybody was pitching in, um, working on different things at the same time. And then you could step back and you could see it because that's one of the things about yard work is you can see the result pretty quickly. And so, you know, you have that feeling, I'm sure it's something rooted in what God did at the beginning of creation, where he did something and stepped back and you can have that satisfied feeling and saying, that's good. 
And I Mm. remember this Saturday, that was exactly the feeling I had. We had worked and worked and worked. And then you just take that moment and you pause and you breathe and you look at your work and you say, oh, that's good. And if, if you could associate a feeling with that, like internally, when you are able to step back and think that is good, what does that feel like for you? Mm. It feels like peace. It feels like things are what they're supposed to be. Um, like there's this goal or something we were moving toward and things finally kind of came together in harmony, everything kind of locked in place. And it just gives me that sense of, yes, this is what is supposed to be. Yeah, it's exactly the the first word you said, which was peace, is exactly what I would also say. This morning, I was thinking about doing this podcast with you, and I was just really placing myself into moments when I just am overwhelmed with a sense of God's goodness and peace is exactly what I identified as the feeling that you feel internally. Mm. And so as we jump into some reflection on the sermon from the past Sunday, and if you're listening and you didn't have a chance to listen to that sermon, you can find it on the SOMA website. We're walking through the fruit of the spirit. And this week, our topic is goodness. And Brandon really beautifully defined goodness is as that which is aligned with God's heart for restoring people, places, and institutions back to flourishing. How does that, how does that definition sit with you, Hannah? Oh, well, it's definitely one that, um, you know, captures my sense of my understanding of goodness. And I, I liked particularly the focus on the restoration because I think we know that this world that we live in, even though it has so many good things, is very broken and things aren't the way they should be. And we're not at peace. We don't have that feeling of stepping back and saying, this is good as much as we would like. And so that idea of restoring really turns our attention back to um, what God intends for the world and what he intends for his children. And I also like um, the addition of the idea of flourishing, that, that this is where we exist in a state of, of life-giving growth, um, that, that things are not just static, but there's this energy and there's this purpose and it's all aligned um, along the, the ways that God himself lives and moves in the world and what he intends for us. So I think it's it's really interesting how he um, defined it in a way that really throws my mind back to creation. It really does kind of throw my mind back to the beginning, to Eden, um, and all those times that God looked at the world and said, this is good. And then that kind of struggle to recover that goodness. Um, And of course, we know that happens through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, but it's that vision of what did God intend for our lives on this earth. Yeah, and what really strikes me about this definition is it's so in contrast to what we see the earth or the world, um, how how the world approaches, how, how people who are not Jesus followers approach this concept of goodness. And, and as I, you know, as I think about, well, then how, how would we define 
goodness if we're not following Jesus? How does the world tell us to define goodness? And and what comes to my mind is kind of this a fulfillment of one's desires, right? Which which winds up really um, leaving us feeling so empty, as opposed to aligning with with the desires of God. And uh, I think about. I'm sure you've seen this it's super popular clothing brand, which I actually do love called life is good. Mm. And it's, it's, we so long to capture like, Oh, what's it mean for the moment when life is good. Right. So you've got t-shirts and hats and um, stickers that have, you know, people or fishing or bike riding. It's, it's trying to figure out how does each individual define what good looks like in their life. And it's, it's just really a series of hobbies that are being portrayed on a shirt. And, and yet it's such a good, it's such a good picture of how we're just chasing after that, which is good only to wind up um, empty. Right. And it's very individualized. It's like goodness is defined by Mm you or your desires or what is good for me may not be good for you. And so there's this kind of um, subjective quality to it that I think actually leaves us feeling somewhat isolated, like you're referencing it. It doesn't draw us into something bigger than ourselves, the goodness of God or the character of God or this flourishing together. It really reduces it just to this individualized experience of goodness that then becomes very lonely, if we're honest. There's not that kind of collective um, flourishing together where we're all able to participate in goodness together. Hmm. And so how, how would you, how would you guide someone? How would you mentor, teach someone to really know how to identify what is goodness? Hmm. Yeah. Because we're being taught all the time. Like none of us are blank slates. We're, we're constantly being shaped our affections and our desires and what we long for and what, what's put in front of us as the good life is constantly um, before our eyes, whether it's in marketing, you know, TV, music, um, the books we read, the movies. And I don't mean this in a um, way that we should pull back from all of that and we should be afraid of it. I just mean that we're being taught something all the time about what goodness looks like and what the good life would be and how we would pursue it. And so as people who long to be shaped by the goodness of God, we're going to have to first just be aware that there are competing visions of goodness. And what we naturally um, might say, oh, that's a good thing. I want to go after it. We have to recognize that even that quote unquote, natural feeling has been shaped and given to us by um, society or, you know, whatever influence has been a part of our lives. So the first thing I think we just have to acknowledge that there are competing visions of goodness, and it's going to take um, intentionality to learn and grow in the goodness of God, to understand the ways in which he is good, to understand his character, to understand how he defines um, goodness. And, you know, obviously one of the places we can start is the scripture itself to, to learn the character of God, to see how he acts and uh, reacts within context of the scripture. 
And I think also, um, as we learn that mentally, we also have to have um, experiences of goodness. And I think one of the things that's been so helpful in my own life is recognizing that goodness is not just an abstract thing, right? It's not just this theory that's out there or just in my Bible, but it is goodness um, from God received in his gifts, whether those gifts are community, whether they are gifts he's given us within the natural world, within our relationships, and then be able to help people identify this thing that you're experiencing, this this thing right here that um, God has brought into your life, this is goodness. And, and kind of point to that and confirm it so that we're training our senses and we're training ourselves to recognize what true goodness looks like. Yeah, I remember hearing that when bank tellers are being trained to identify a counterfeit, they are just exposed over and over and over to the real, to the real deal, right? Real money. They're feeling it, smelling it. They are so familiar with that, which is real and true that when the counterfeit comes, their senses pick up on it right away. And, and, and in a sense, right, that's what you're saying is that we're so accustomed, so familiar with God's character, with what true goodness is that when, when the world tries to, to sell us something else as good, we're able to discern the difference. Mm -hmm. And so, I want to, you know, also just acknowledge that a lot of us have experienced artificial or counterfeit um, goodness in our lives. And so, uh, you know, this isn't something we should beat ourselves up about, you know, like, like, I don't know what true goodness is, but it's an invitation to learn. And it's an invitation to evaluate um, things and relationships and goals that we just automatically assume are good, or this is the way things should be. Um, and it's an openness to say, okay, I'm willing to kind of gain some self-awareness. I'm willing to test. I'm willing to explore all those things that I have assumed were good um, and kind of compare that to the character of God and compare that to the scripture. So how would you advise someone that's just starting out on this journey of really um, exploring and enjoying God's character, what, what would you tell them to do for initial steps? Well, I think, um, you know, like we said, that first step is just recognizing that there are conflicting visions of goodness. Um, I think it does come back to um, giving yourself space to learn. And um, for, for me, that has meant learning um, things like the faithfulness of God, looking for specific character traits or, or virtues. There's a verse um, in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, um, where Paul is giving advice to the Philippian church about what they should pursue in terms of goodness, um, how they should cultivate their minds, and what they should bring into their lives. And instead of just saying goodness, as this vague category, he tells them that they should seek uh, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, and whatever is of good report or commendable. And so he begins to clarify, it's not just goodness as this abstract category, it's very specific things. Look for those things that reflect 
the truth because God is a God of truth. He is an honest, open God. He, he is who he says he is. He's not a deceiving God. Look for those things and those people um, that are just because our God is just and he will keep his word and he is righteous and he will always act as he says he will act. And so kind of connecting those dots, beginning to see that it's not just this category of God's goodness or blessing or his gifts, but identifying what are the specific character traits? What are the specific things about God um, that he reveals about himself within the word? And then learning then to lift your eyes up and say, where do I see that same faithfulness being uh, revealed. And so here's an example. I told you at the beginning that one of my, what I consider a good movie is Casablanca. And part of the reason I think that's a good movie is because of the theme of self-sacrifice and that vision of surrendering your rights, surrendering your um, safety and your desires out of love for someone else is exactly what Christ did on the cross. And so there is this theme of goodness, of self-sacrifice and love that's being represented in that movie. And ultimately that's good because it reflects on the goodness of God. Yeah, absolutely. My, if I were to give you a good movie, my favorite movie, actually, I would have said life is beautiful, mm. which Mm-hmm. is um, which is similarly exactly what you're saying. Why do I love it? Because there's this element of goodness within that movie in the form of, of yeah, self-sacrifice that causes my heart to leap. And it's, it's, we are designed right to, when we see this goodness as God, it, it's like, as though within us, there's this, um, it's fulfilling and it's compelling and it draws us because it's so different than so much of the uh, goodness that we are sold or that we're taught to run after, or that seems uh, very easily attainable. And so it's interesting how our hearts just bend toward that which God wired us to really enjoy and delight in. And that movie's interesting because it's simultaneously a very sad movie. Mm-hmm. And so you have this experience of grief while you're having the experience of goodness and peace. And I think that kind of really um, shows the ways in which our society um, offers us goodness that's artificial because so often if you said, is grief good? It's like, no, we want to avoid that. There's anything that would involve suffering, anything that would involve sadness, that can't possibly be good. And we're going to do everything in our power to avoid it. And goodness will also, will always mean avoiding those things. Mm -hmm. But in the movie, um, you know, life's beautiful. There's really intense sadness and intense grief. And you feel it as a viewer, but it comes coupled with this deep affirmation of this is good this is goodness. And so it shows a a more complicated and maybe mature vision of goodness than we're offered um, just in society at large. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as we, as followers of Christ seek to cultivate goodness, there are hurdles in 
front of us. What, what do you see as some of this pursuit of goodness? Well, I think, you know, as we just mentioned, part of it is just defining goodness, right? It's just what is goodness? What does it look like? And making sure that we're um, defining it according to God's nature, according to the scripture, according to those things that are truly good. But even if we can do that, even if we can settle on a set of definitions that we can agree upon, this is true goodness. The next question is, well, how do we get there? How do we achieve goodness? How do we bring it into our lives? How are we made good again? And I think there's a couple of temptations in this regard. And one is we can just try to achieve goodness out of performance. Like we see the goal, we know this thing is good, it is objectively good, it's truly good. And we're going to go toward it with all of our will and all of our energy. And we are going to be the ones who make that goodness happen. We are going to bring that goodness into our lives. And that's slightly different than just pursuing and engaging with goodness. What I'm describing is the kind of, um, you know, more um, will-driven, aggressive, I'm going to make goodness come about in my own life and the lives of those I love. And this is something of what, you know, the scripture talks about when it warns us that we are not saved by works that we have done, that it's not goodness residing in us that's going to produce this goodness, but that we're saved um, through grace by faith. And that's the good news. <laughs> the good news is not that we can achieve goodness on our own and we can work our way back to that goodness at the beginning of creation. The good news is that Christ will restore us to that goodness as we um, participate and cling to him in faith. And that's why Galatians talks about goodness as a fruit of the spirit. It's something that comes from the relationship with Christ. It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not just our kind of aggressive pursuit of goodness. Yeah, this is a concept that I had to back into uh, when I became a follower of Christ. I was a young adult uh, when, when I became a believer in Jesus. And I remember in that first church that I was plugged into, I was discipled into the, the rules of goodness. So the things that I was supposed to do and, uh, you know, I learned quickly, like I, you know, we don't listen to secular music. We don't drink wine. We don't, I had all of these rules and I was trying to figure out how to be good, right? How, how to really be good enough, just yeah. continuously, you know, failing and, um, and feeling so empty. And it was so freeing when a few years into my faith, I was actually discipled according to what God's word said, which is exactly what you're saying. It's, you know, we are saved through faith and, and there's, there's no, um, expectation of works placed upon us, um, for our salvation and, and this kind of, you know, trying to pull off being a, a, a disciple of Jesus in our own strength is such a futile pursuit. And I think it does lead to a lot of, um, oh, just a lot of sadness, feelings of failure, and then eventually kind of a, a throwing up of the hands. Right. Right. And, and that's what's so fascinating within Galatians, the larger context of the fruit of the spirit, Paul hits this point where he says, if you started your walk of faith 
in the spirit, why would you think you would continue anywhere else? Why would you continue in your flesh? And his point is, you know, I think a lot of us would affirm that our justification, our salvation is not of works that we have done, but then we, we try to live our Christian life as if it did depend on our works that we have done, our good works. And so even within the larger context of Galatians, Paul's just hitting that home exactly as you put it, that we come to Christ in faith through grace and we live in the spirit through faith, through grace. And what you describe as what happens if we don't do that is we end up exhausted. Um, we end up, you know, just depleted. And I think at that point is very tempting to just throw our hands up and say, well, whatever, goodness is unattainable because I can't do it. Goodness is unattainable. And I should just accept the status quo and who I am is enough and whatever is going to be is going to be. And we just have to wait for Jesus to come back to fix everything. And what actually happens is when you try to pursue good works on your own, you become exhausted and you stop the pursuit of goodness. But that's not what we're called to either. And what's beautiful about the way this is laid out in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, um, Paul talks about that we are not saved by works that we have done, but it's grace working through faith. And then in Ephesians 2, 10, the very next verse, he says that God has created good works for us to walk in, that there is this invitation into goodness, but you have to come through grace and faith and life in the spirit to the good works that you're called to. Right. And, and those good works that are talked about in Ephesians 2.10, the, the motivation is different, right? It's not, it's not so that I can, you know, receive the trophy or so it's, it's not a performance-based motivation. Right. Right. Because you are already safe with Jesus. There, yes. Your um, participation in this goodness and these good works has no standing on whether you are accepted and safe in the beloved. And once that's taken out of the picture, once we can stop competing for our sense of righteousness or our sense of acceptance, then we can just move into the goodness that God has created for us. And this is the invitation um, to circle back to the definition of goodness. This is the invitation back to the restoration. This is the invitation to participate with the restoring work that God is doing to bring about flourishing. Yeah, absolutely. Hannah, I would love for you to talk about the ways that you experience God's goodness in the natural world. Mm -hmm. We as a church are learning so much and enjoying deeply uh, your book, Turning of Days. It is a gift. And I know um, through your writing that the way that you're connecting the natural world with uh, the Father is um, it's beautiful and impactful to others. So is there something you can share with us uh, through the experience of writing that book or, or other experiences that you have interacting um, with nature? Absolutely. And, and what I love about natural revelation, and I've said this before, um, is that it mirrors what we see in the scripture. So we can talk about all of these things from kind of a textual or a doctrinal standpoint, and we can point to the verses, and we know that this is truth being revealed to us through the scripture. But then when we lift our eyes and we look at the world around us, those same categories, that same truth is on display in the world around us. 
And one of the realities about creation is that it exists in this same state of being both blessed and cursed. That just as we are longing for goodness, just as we long to return um, to the goodness for which God has created us, the creation itself is in this space of um, presenting both goodness to us and the brokenness. And that was one thing I wanted to make sure to, to point out when I wrote Turning of Days, that the natural world is often a source of inspiration and transcendence, but it's also a source of danger and difficulty sometimes. And so we have to have a guide. Um, we have to have knowledge to navigate it, just like we have to have a guide of God's goodness and knowledge to navigate our own personal lives and our spiritual lives. And I was thinking about this idea of knowing the difference between what is good and bad around us and the, the temptation to um, not engage in the search for goodness because we're concerned about the bad. And I was thinking about that in terms of the art and practice of foraging. That when you go out into the woods and you look for food sources, not that you've planted or cultivated, but just that are out in the woods, that you have to have a level of skill um, to know what you should eat and what you shouldn't eat. Um, and so I want to just read this part from the book um, about knowing the difference between good and evil and learning what is good so you can enjoy um, the good. Here are the stakes. The same ground that is blessed is also cursed. The same ground that gives us plants for food also gives us thorns and thistles. It brings forth both life and death. Eat the right thing and you will live. Eat the wrong thing and you will die. Given the dangers associated with the earth, it could be easy to skip foraging altogether. And I suppose in a modern context, we have that luxury. Who would take the risk when you can simply buy food at the grocery store? Because despite my interest in foraging, I know that we don't do it for the same reasons my grandmother did or her grandmother or her grandmother before. But I also wonder if we're missing out, if we're missing out on morels and ramps and fiddleheads. I wonder if our search for safety means we're not searching for goodness. So what are we to do? In foraging circles, the solution is simple. You learn, you learn what is good and you learn what is bad so you can enjoy the good. Likewise, the psalmist tells us that the earth is full of the Lord's goodness. And in Philippians 4, 8, the apostle Paul invites us to forge for this goodness, neither fully accepting nor rejecting what the world offers. Instead, he invites us to search out whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Because if you do, if you're humble enough to learn the difference between life and death, if you seek whatever is excellent and worthy of praise, if you look for it in the underbrush and around trees and hidden in hillsides, if you take the time and make the effort, you're sure to find it. And when you do, you'll realize that you've been surrounded by the Lord's goodness all along. That is beautiful. And that's, that's our invitation, isn't it? As believers is to enjoy, to, to identify first and to enjoy the goodness of God. And then together collectively to the world, his goodness.
Yeah, Hannah, thank you for teaching us and sharing with us um, today. Would you be willing to close our time together in prayer? Heavenly Father, you are a good, good God, and you have created the world and us in goodness. And even though we experience the pain of brokenness and we long to be made good, we know that you are working in us and through us, through the gospel, through the good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will align us with your good heart, with all that you are in all of your character and your truth and your faithfulness in your kindness and your love and that you will give us eyes to see what is truly good and hearts to long for it we ask that through the work of your spirit in our lives shaping and changing us we too would be made good and that we would be able to enter into your work of goodness in this world in your good son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.